I fear I'm going to disappoint a few of you. Uh, <laughs> Chris Chatfield to start with, because he's told me that he hopes there's a strong football theme running throughout this sermon. And I'm really sorry, I couldn't shoehorn it any, anywhere. <laughs> so no football in this next few minutes. And um, I think some of you think that the best uh, talks have three points to them. And I'm afraid this one has only got two. So some of you will be disappointed and some of you will be thrilled <laughs> to hear that. Actually, today I'm really, really happy to be able to talk um, on this theme of living generously. Uh, We're having a series for a few months thinking about how we can grow as community, grow in maturity, but also in number. And a kind of springboard was that first reading that Penny read, that those few verses from Acts about the early church and how we can get inspiration from the way they were as a community for how we live our lives today. And about um, a month ago, I was standing in the same spot talking about being community. Um, I spoke about the beauty of community when we're living as we should, the power of community, being a, a witness to the wider world, but also the pain of living in community. And um, I left church that day feeling that it was a little bit lopsided, that I'd missed an aspect of it. So I'm really happy today to have a chance to um, redress the balance. So um, the chapter, the verses from Luke that Penny read second, um, they actually fall in quite a long, long passage where Jesus is really under fire from the religious leaders. Their challenges, his authority, they're asking him all sorts of tricky questions to try and catch him out. And that long discourse is interrupted by this beautiful little scene where Jesus looks up. He looks at the people coming to bring their gifts to the temple. He sees the rich people giving out of their wealth. And he's moved by the poor widow who gives out of her poverty. If wealth were represented by a pie or a cake, the rich were giving a slice, but she was giving the whole of her pie to the temple. And that clearly moved Jesus, and he valued what was perhaps a small contribution in the world's eyes, but for him was huge. I don't know if you knew you were coming to hear a talk about generosity this morning. Um, if you did, I wonder what you thought you might hear. I wonder if you sometimes guess what you think the speaker's going to say. Um, I wonder if you thought that this was going to be talk about money. Maybe you've got a firm grip on your wallet this morning because you think I'm going to be telling you to dig deep and give more to the church finances. If that's the case, you can relax. I'm not. It's funny, when you're preparing for something, you often get tested in that area in your own life. And for me, over the last few weeks, I've been tested about my tea towels, of all things. (laughs) Not money, but tea towels. Last autumn, some of us went to France on a special holiday Um, with a group of people with learning disabilities. And on one particular great day, we went to a market and um, everyone found something different to buy in the market, maybe some nougat or some honey or a dress or 
But I came across this lovely linen stand and hanging up with these lovely French linen tea towels. Oh, they're just lovely. Striped in lovely muted colors, and I knew I had to have some. (laughs) So I bought three, and I knew one of them straight away was going to be a present for a friend. And I told myself at the time the other two would also be presents. But actually, deep inside, I knew that I wanted to keep them for myself. And so I gave one away last November, and the other two have been in my cupboard ever since. And as soon as I knew I was speaking on this sermon, I knew the other two were going to have to go. (laughs) So I have managed to gift them, and it was really hard. How silly to wrestle over two tea towels. I know you won't get it, but for me, (laughs) it was a battle. Generosity. What does it really mean? It's not just about money and tea towels. I guess if you were to look up something in a dictionary, it'd be something about a willingness to help or to support, perhaps going beyond what is expected or necessarily. You might see something about open-handedness. In church, we often talk about making sacrifices, and in a few moments, we'll be celebrating communion together when we remember Jesus' ultimate sacrifice so that we would um, be reconciled, we could be forgiven, that we could live at peace with him. And we know that we should live a life of sacrifice, but it's possible to do that in a grudging or dutiful way, isn't it? But I think living generously is more about the condition of our hearts and the openness of our hands, not clinging too tightly to the things that we possess. Actually, it's not just a New Testament thing. I found this lovely piece in Deuteronomy, right back in the Old Testament, where it says, Give generously without a grudging heart. I command you to be open-handed towards your brothers and towards the poor and needy in your land. So it's about hearts and it's about hands. In our hearts, we can live generously if we can remember all that Jesus has done for us, all that Jesus has done for us. He is faithful. He will continue to be faithful. We will not be in need. We can also remember the kindness of others. As I look around this church this morning, I feel embarrassed about my wrestle thinking about tea towels. I've got Elizabeth here in the front row who spent years looking after my little children (laughs) so kindly. Others who have been so generous. I've been given a car. I've been given two cars by very dear people. How could I feel so selfish about two silly little tea towels? (laughs) To remember in our hearts all that we've received helps us to be generous. Sometimes we just don't really like the people we feel called to be kind to. We need to ask for heart surgery, that God would give us compassion in our hearts, that we would see as he sees. And then we need to ask him to open up our hands to release those things that we hold so tightly. And when we do, then we experience freedom. And actually in giving, we know that we'll be blessed. And in giving, we change the culture around us. I know this, I said this wasn't about church finances, but this is a little bit related. Um, 
when we first had the, one of the first rock meetings, now if you're new to church, you won't know what I had. Um, it's a project where we're going to be looking at the church and making it more accessible and bringing things up to date. Big project. I'm not even going to try and summarize it here. But I have to confess, when I went to the first meeting about it, I sat there and I cried. Because on that particular week, we were um, in uh, tricky times as a family, and I was trying to feed our family of six on £20 for a week, and I thought, there is no slack. I can't bear the thought of living under that stress that we should be giving more and more and more when there is no more to give. I felt a bit despondent. I wanted to cling on tightly to what I had. And then I remembered Anne Slapford. Does anyone remember Anne Slapford? (laughs) Anne was a lovely member of this congregation for many years. And back in the millennium times, we had another building project, the church centre down the hill there. And again, there was a lot of money that needed to be raised in order to make those changes. And Anne, like the lady in our reading, was a widow, I think I'm right in saying, and I don't know her finances, but I can imagine she didn't have a huge amount. But what she could do was cook and she had some time. And throughout that whole building process, at the back of church, there'd be little rows of jam that she'd made, and every week people would come and buy her jam. And I can remember the Sunday when we had a big celebration when Anne's jam had raised a thousand pounds. It was amazing. And uh, that was an inspiration to me that what we think we can give may feel very little, but when we live generously, God can multiply that and extraordinary things can happen. That's all about living generously. My second and final point is don't always be the generous one. If we want to grow as a community, we need to allow other people to be the generous ones. Sitting here together today in church does not make us a community. That simply makes us a congregation If we're going to become a community, there's got to be some interaction between us, hasn't there? There's got to be some communication. There's got to be some giving and some receiving. That's true here today. That's why the coffee time at the end of the service is so important or why the prayer time at the front is so important. There's a giving and a receiving. But it's even more true as we live our lives in the community of Western and further afield. And I wonder if sometimes as a church, we can sometimes think in terms of one direction of travel, that we've got all the good stuff and we're going to take it out to all those poor people out there who've got nothing and live dark lives and have got nothing to offer. I think that can be quite a disempowering attitude and actually takes away people's dignity. Last Sunday evening, Cuthbert here spoke in church and he had this um, full vase of water and he put a rested a piece of paper on the top and sort of shook it around a bit and you could see the, the wet ring appear on the paper at the top and he said that that vase is like all of us. We're all full of hopes and dreams and gifts and talents and so much to give And yet sometimes we just settle with that little sign on the top. We don't really um, go down into the depths of all that we have to offer. And there's no us and them. It's we're all we all have our brokennesses that we share here. 
And the people out there have got their brokennesses, but we have our gifts, our reserves of talents and amazing things that God's caused us to be. And so do the people out in our communities. And we need to be a church that releases people to share their gifts, to be the generous ones. There's nothing better, is there, than feeling like you're doing the thing that you were created to do and to be. And Jesus modeled this. I feel like Jesus has been teaching me about this in recent months as I read the Bible again. Jesus did amazing things, but quite often he would allow someone else to do their little bit first before he came in with his great blessing. If you think about the feeding of the 5,000, he didn't just provide out of nothing. He said, what have you got? Last, a couple of weeks ago, we were thinking about the sending out of the 72. The disciples were to take nothing with them at all because they were to depend on the kindness of strangers they met along the way. The woman at the well drew a drink of water for Jesus first before he spoke into her life. The wedding at Cana, the, the host of the wedding, had to sacrifice those um, jars of water. They didn't fill themselves. That must have taken a huge amount of work just to fill them with water before they were transformed into wine. And even as we think about Paul, when he was in that jail and there was an earthquake and uh, he went back to the home of the, um, the jailer, the jailer washed the wounds of Paul and his companion before Paul then baptized him and his family. There's meant to be a mutuality um, in our giving and our receiving. Paul actually writes in Corinthians, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be and equality. I thought about that while Victor was talking about the lady who lives by the Samaritan's Way. Now she has a home, she has a shade, she has something to offer those who pass by. There's a giving and a receiving, and she is in the place now where she has something to offer and to give those who pass along the way. What a gift it is for us to be able to enable someone to move beyond being identified by their poverty or their differentness, how they dress, perhaps how they behave, but instead to be recognized, for them to be released into exercising the God-given gifts that they have within them already. And again, we have to do that with open hands. Not this time that us doing the giving, but sometimes we need the humility to do the receiving. In my work with the Life Project and with people with learning disabilities, that's my constant quest to look into each and find out what is your unique gift, your unique contribution to the world. How can I help you to share that to be a blessing to the wider community? We had some um, cream teas up at the barn where we work a couple of weeks ago and um, uh, my guys were able to cook some scones, we made some jam, we made our little plant supports, and then we invited people to come along, and I know that some of you here came. And 
we didn't put a charge on the cream teas and there was just a little pot that people could put money in and people were so generous I think because there was no price put on what people would come and receive people gave and just over two afternoons people really generously gave £750 which was a huge amount for us and there was generosity on both sides and I thought again that was a beautiful snapshot sometimes it's harder to receive than to give isn't it John Stott, as he came towards the end of his life as a great um, Bible teacher and writer, wrote this. I sometimes hear people, older people, including Christian people who should know better, say, I don't want to be a burden on anyone else. I'm happy to carry on living so long as I can look after myself. But as soon as I become a burden, I would rather die. But this is wrong. We are all designed to be a burden to others. You are designed to be a burden to me, and I am designed to be a burden to you. And the life of the family, including the life of the local church, should be one of mutual burdensomeness. In Galatians it says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of God. So it's all about hearts and hands. To live generously, we need open hearts and open hands. And we also always need to make sure that we're not only allowing ourselves to be the one that give, that we receive as well, because that brings dignity and enables other people to be who they're intended to be. Shall we pray as I close? Lord, we love this picture of living generous lives. And we confess that that's not always the reality in our own lives. We fear the future. We lack compassion. We have an unhealthy attachment to the things we own. And we spend far too much time comparing ourselves with others. Lord, would you do heart surgery on us all? Help us to trust you more and to receive the kindness of our brothers and sisters. Give us your love. Free us from these things that hold us back and help us always to come back to you, not comparing ourselves to others, but knowing that you know us, you love us, and you receive the little we have to offer and you can multiply it to do extraordinary things for your kingdom. These are some verses from Corinthians. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Lord, may this be true for us. Amen.